Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. It's summertime, and of course, as we think about summertime, you can't help but think about summer vacations. Have you already, already taken a vacation yet this summer? We've got some that have already taken a vacation. Some of y'all just live on vacation, so I understand that. Um, but uh, that's called retirement, right? Um, but uh, when you start thinking about vacation, I know for us, my favorite vacation is, is going on a cruise. And I know that's not for everybody because some people, just the idea of being on a boat and not being able to get off of it. But I'm just going to tell you that when you get on the boat and you go to sleep and you wake up at your next destination, you don't have to drive. You don't have to make decisions. You know, the food is there. You eat what you want to eat. Somebody comes in and makes the bed for you and cleans up after you. And, and it's just, it's, it's absolutely the best. Uh, but again, it's not for everybody. I will tell you the very first cruise we took, we almost decided never to go on one again. Uh, I know, right? Uh, he, was, uh, he was just not even a year old yet, and we got a last-minute deal, and we went to Miami. First of all, we drove to Miami, and that was the most miserable uh, 17 days, I feels like, how long it took to drive down there. Uh, but we drove down there, and uh, we got on the boat, and we went to Key West. Again, Key West is eh, not my favorite place in the world. But we were leaving Key West and going to Cozumel, and it was in February, and the water was rough. The seas were, were, were bad. And that night, I learned what being seasick was all about. Never had that experience before, but I had it that night. Because for hours, the ship went up, and the ship came down. The ship came up, and the ship came down. And we didn't really know how bad it was. We managed to try, try to find some relief from the motion. We went outside, and the swimming pool, the ship was moving so much that the water was sloshing out of the swimming pool. And that didn't make it better. I'll just tell you that, seeing that happen. And so tried to go to bed. That didn't help. It was, it was, a, it was a terrible, terrible few hours. And thankfully, it only lasted a few hours, but it was absolutely miserable. You guys that have been on, in the Navy, you served on Navy, naval vessels or Coast Guard or whatever, you're looking at me like, like, like rookie. I mean, because I, I mean, you, you probably know exponentially worse what that's like, but, but on, on the big carnival boat, I will tell you that was awful. Absolutely awful, and we almost didn't go back. Thankfully, that's the only bad experience we've had like that. Uh, I don't know how people are able to handle that, that feeling for a prolonged period of time. I don't know how you could manage to, to function in that environment for an extended period of time. We get into Acts 20, 27 today, and we find out that Paul and his companions have to endure even worse misery for two weeks. Two weeks they have to, to deal with this constant up and down and up and down and side to side and the wind howling. It's a terrible storm there in the Mediterranean that takes two weeks for them to get through. The nice thing about our vacation is that when we got through, there was a dock that we pulled up beside and we got to go to a nice sunny tropical beach. I mean, that was great. When Paul's journey comes to a, a conclusion, there was no dock to pull up to. There was no paradise in which to enjoy a day. We do understand, though, that God was faithful to keep his promises to Paul even though the journey was hard. 
And you, if you open your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts 27 today, just to set the stage for where we are. There's a lot of, lot of verses that I'm not going to be able to cover today. We're finally out of Jerusalem in Caesarea. The trial is finally come to a close. Something like two years has passed over the course of this, this, uh, this season. We ended the story last week when, when Governor Festus and King Agrippa were, were struggling to find something criminal with which to charge Paul. Uh, he was going to be sent to the emperor, and, and I imagine that if my name is Caesar, it probably doesn't take too kindly to such a waste of time. You sent me a prisoner that you didn't put any charges on? I mean, we don't even know what we're on trial for. But so chapter 27 meets us with a very dramatic change of scenery. He's no longer in the jail, no longer in the custody of, of the governor. Instead, we have Paul and a couple of his companions. They're on board a ship simply working its way around the, the Mediterranean. And Paul was specifically under the guard of a centurion named Julius. Did you know there's only two centurions named in the Bible? This is one, you may know the other one, Bible trivia? Somebody say it? Cornelius? Anybody say, it? say I knew that, Pastor. I just wouldn't, I didn't want to embarrass, I didn't want to be that guy in class, right, that knew the answer, right? <laughs> it would appear that Julius is a decent guy. A decent human being, we're told in verse 3 of chapter 27 that he treated Paul kindly, even gave Paul surely the opportunity to, to go and visit his friends when they stopped in a familiar port. Eventually, though, the boat that they were on got to the end of its journey, and Julius had to find another way to move them on to Rome. And he found an Egyptian boat, we're told, and it was headed towards Italy. It's likely that it was a large grain freighter, just a big boat that moved grain from Egypt into Rome. And the journey, unfortunately, got much more difficult from there. The weather was not in their favor. Historians tell us that these freighters were good at carrying cargo, but they weren't the easiest ships to sail. One historian said it was a normal grain freighter was 140 feet long, 36 feet wide, and had a 33-foot draft. It was a sturdy ship, but in high seas, it had definite disadvantages. It had no rudder like a modern ship, but was steered by two great paddles extending from the stern. It only had one mast on which a big square sail hung. Chief among its drawbacks is that it could not sail into the wind. The captain of the ship took a very significant risk. Would have stayed put, he could have stayed put in the port of Fairhaven. But instead, we find in chapter 27 that a window of decent weather opened, and he hoped to reach the port of Phoenix, which was just about 40 miles away. But that 40 miles that they begin, that journey, takes on the, uh, the shape of an ancient Gilligan's Island three-hour tour. It doesn't end. It turns into two weeks and a shipwreck, and of course, those, uh, that story unfolds. And you know what happens. The good wind turns quickly into a bad one. Luke describes it as a tempestuous wind called a northeaster. We, we hear language like that today when one of those winter storms brew up the east coast, the nor'easters. That's where that term comes from. It was a serious storm, and it didn't go away. The ship got caught in the storm. And the sailors, they do every trick in the book to try to save this ship. They wrapped it with ropes to try to hold it together. They lightened the cargo, but none of it worked. They essentially have to resign themselves to die. 
And I'll tell you, just for four hours of, of rough seas on a cruise ship, I was ready to die in that moment. So I can't imagine doing this for two weeks. They resigned themselves to die. It almost sounds like Jonah. Remember the story of Jonah, where this is the moment where the seas are so rough, the only choice they've got left is to throw somebody in the ocean. And this is where Jonah gets thrown into the sea. However, this time it's not a prophet running from God. It's a prophet doing exactly what God has said. And so we pick up today in this place in our scripture reading from Acts chapter 27. I'll begin in verse 21. I would invite you to stand with me as I read these words from Acts chapter 27, beginning in verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship it had, and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the boat, and Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day, and you have continued in suspense without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. There were 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this journey that the Apostle Paul took that was taking him all the way to Rome. God, I thank you for your faithfulness and your provision of care for them. And you never promised that it would be easy, but you did promise that Paul would see Rome. And I pray that your faithfulness here might, uh, might instruct us today in a, in a challenging new world. We ask your, a prayer, your blessings on this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. All of chapter 27, I would encourage you to, to go back and read all of these verses because it's a very intense bit of storytelling that we receive here. I mean, this is a, uh, again, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a screenplay ready to go, uh, you know, that what's taking place here. We are watching the boat that was being torn apart, and there's no end really in sight. Uh, the misery of those two weeks cannot be understated. Verse 29 is one of those very clarifying verses. We're told that there were 276 men on the boat, and we're told that they collectively prayed that the night would pass and day would come. Now again, we read that if we're not careful, we read that as Christians and we think a prayer meeting broke loose there on the deck of this grain freighter, but 
What were these 276 men aboard this boat? Well, they were Egyptians and they were Greeks and there was a few Christians on the boat. There were probably some Jews on the boat. And so when it says that they prayed that night, that the night went in and the day would come, what's actually happening is that every Greek, every Egyptian god is having his name called out there in the, in the hopes that somebody will answer, somebody will hear, somebody will listen, and will save them from their situation. But as we know, there was only one group praying to the right God there on that boat, and that was Paul and his companions as they, as they cried out to the true Lord. Only one God could deliver. You think about this situation. They had, they had no way of navigating, no way of knowing where they were. There were no stars. There was no sun. Literally, they were at the mercy of the storm. You ever been lost before? I mean, not, not spiritually, but physically lost. Like, like somewhere where you not only don't know where you are, but you don't know how to get away from, from where you are. You don't know where the, what turn is going to lead you in the right direction, to, to not have any bearings whatsoever. That's where they are. They have no sense of where they are at this moment in time. And this day, this night, the ship is being torn to shreds. It's being battered by this, by this tempestuous wind. You know, sometimes we find our lives are going through various kinds of storms. You're probably familiar with the old Ray Bolt, Ray, Ray Bolt song, The Anchor Holds. The guy that wrote the song, he, he wrote it out of a very painful, difficult season in his life. The songwriter's name was Lawrence Tuning. He describes the, the situation that led to the writing of that song this way. He says, it began in 1992 when my wife and I experienced what we now call our year of sorrows. He says, my father died that year. We were facing health problems. I had come to a point of burnout from pastoral ministry for 19 years. The church I had helped plant was entering the first phases of what would become a devastating split. I was reevaluating the focus of my calling I was weary and discouraged. Then, in the summer of 1992, my wife experienced her third miscarriage. We wept as we held the tiny 14-week fetus of our son in our hands. It truly felt as if our visions and dreams had slipped right through like they were only grains of sand. That's a lyric in the song. If you go listen to that song and you understand that he's thinking about holding a 14-week-old fetus when he writes those lyrics down. That takes on a whole new significance. It seemed as if the best years were over. Maybe you've been there before. You look at your life now, you look at the crisis you're in, you think, the best years are, are over. He says he was given a sabbatical from pastoring for six months. During that time, his wife and he grieved and prayed. He says, I also began to play the piano again for hours at a time, alone with God, during this time of sadness and uncertainty, the Holy Spirit gave me a song which I entitled, The Anchor Holds. As I would sing it, I began to experience God's comfort, encouragement, and hope. Eventually, fresh vision came, and I entered a new phase of the calling on my life. You know the song, the, the anchor holds, though the ship is battered. The anchor holds, though the sails are torn. I've fallen on my knees as I face the raging seas. The anchor holds in spite of the storm. And there's no denying that Paul had just an astonishing level of confidence and faith in the midst of a terrible situation. 
But what makes this passage so special in Acts 27 is, is that Paul is confident. There's no denying the confidence that Paul has. But Paul is able to share this confidence with others. All those people on the boat, all those people who were under the same affliction are encouraged because Paul, being a follower of Jesus, is able to point others to his hope and trust in Jesus. You see, there's encouragement for us here today. Whether you're in a storm, whether you're coming out of a storm, or whether you can see the storm brewing there on the horizon. That pretty much covers all of us, right? I mean, that's our life, right? We're either in it, coming out of it, or getting ready to go through it. Whatever it is, there is an anchor that holds us today. So how does it work? Well, one of the ways it works is the anchor holds us through the very presence of God. That very night, Paul was reminded of God's presence. He says in verse 23 that he had just experienced an angelic visitor, that an angel of God came to visit Paul in the midst of the ship going up and down and waves crashing and sails shredding. There is an angel that comes to visit. And that angel was assuring Paul of God's plan for him. And again, you go back in Paul's life, and there were other consequential moments in his ministry where the very presence of Jesus was very, very real. Back in Acts chapter 18, the presence of Jesus came and ministered to Paul. Just a couple of chapters ago in chapter 23, Christ came to him and told him that he would testify in Rome. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, which hadn't been written yet by the time this is taking place, Paul actually says that Jesus stood by him while he was on trial in Rome. Paul could understand that in his ministry, the presence of Jesus was very real in his life. There had never been any doubt for Paul that Christ was with him. Understand this today. We need to remember this as well, that Christ is with us. Again, if you're in the storm, entering the storm, or exiting the storm, Jesus is with us. He promised us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, that he would never leave us or forsake us. It doesn't matter how fierce the storm of your life is. It doesn't matter how tall the waves are. He is with us, just like he was with Peter when Peter walked across the water in that tempest on the Sea of Galilee, just like he was with the disciples when the boat was being overtaken by the storm. Jesus was with them. The psalmist understood this as well. Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. What a precious promise that God has made to his children, that God is with us. Maybe today you're in a situation where you need to be reminded of the presence of Jesus in your life. I'll tell you, there's some ways for you to be reminded. There's some ways for you to remind yourself of, of Christ's abiding presence in your life if you're a Christian. I need to say that. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's some ways for you to be reminded. One of the first ways, one of the best ways, is through consistent interaction with the Word of God. It's a shame today how few true believers have such an anemic devotional life, that the Word of God is not a, a regular and daily part of their life, of their journey in Christ. It is something that we open on Sundays or we open on when we come to church, but it's not a daily part of our life. We need to be in the Word daily. 
I'll tell you, one of the quickest ways to feel abandoned and alone is to get away from the Word of God. God has given us his word to teach us and instruct us. The word of God reminds us of the presence of Christ in our hearts. It has a place in our homes. It has a place in our families. It has a place in our lives. Another way to remind ourselves of God's presence in our lives is it's through the people of God. The people of God are such a grace that God has given to us. Again, the church isn't perfect. And the church is full of imperfect people. But in this room, in this body, in this assembly, in this gathering, there is a grace that God gives to us as the people of God minister to us. I will tell you the times when I have hurt the most, having God's people present in my life has been water for a very thirsty soul. I go back and think about just the hardships that, that I've experienced where, where God's people have been there at just the right time and just the right place just to remind me of, of the ministry of the people of God, the presence of Jesus manifests through them. But then God's gone one step further. He's given us the word. He's given us the, the people of God. He's also given us the ongoing presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you're a Christian today, the Bible says that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that your salvation is secured because the Holy Spirit has sealed you like a letter has been sealed. It is confirmed. It is absolute. It is guaranteed. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is, a, is an assurance of your position in Jesus. And he is with you all the time. But isn't it easy to forget that he's there? Right? I mean, it's easy to forget that he's, that he's right there because he's such an important, ever-present part of our lives. It's not like he comes and he, and he goes. He's with us all the time. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He walks everywhere incognito. And the incognito is not always hard to penetrate. You may not always see him, but you'll find him if you look for him. You may not always experience him, but he's right there. You don't have to go very far. He is with you even if at that moment you are unaware of his presence. And certainly the presence of Jesus ought to be enough. We also understand something about how else God cares for us in life's storms. God anchors us through ownership. It's an interesting thing that Paul says here. Paul mentioned the angel, he reassured him, but he also makes a very important statement right after that in verse 23. He says, an angel to the God, an angel of the God to whom I belong. Paul says, I belong to this God. It reminds me of the old hymn, Jesus my Lord will love me forever, from him no power of evil can sever. He gave his life to ransom my soul, now I belong to him. Now I belong to Jesus, and Jesus belongs to me, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. It's so assuring. Jesus holds us and calls us his own. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You are not your own. You were bought and redeemed with a price, and that price is the shed blood of Jesus, and now you belong to Jesus. And let me tell you, there's no better owner to have. To be owned, to be possessed, for Jesus to belong to him. Because here's the thing. Y'all ever lose something? Man, it's frustrating to lose something. I've got these things on my keys. I'm sure that Big Brother's watching and knows my ever move, but I don't really care. Uh, I got these things on my keys. And these are really cool because if I lose my keys, I'm terrible about losing these keys. 
These are the vehicle keys. These are the church keys. Because church keys, I'll go and I'll unlock a door, and then I'll do something, and I'll end up either setting them down or leaving them in the lock. Carol, I leave keys in her locks all the time. And, and I'll forget where they're at. These are my keys, but I'll forget where they're at. And so I'll have to get my phone out, and I'm walking around like I'm looking like I'm, like I'm lost because I'm looking for my keys. I lose stuff all the time. I love my wife. It's her birthday today, by the way. I had to work that in, right? Uh, she's amazing. She can keep track of my things for me. I don't know how she does it. But she can keep track of my things. She'll, she'll ask me where something is, and I'll say, like, I don't know. I have to come find it. I ask her where something is, and she'll say, go 20 feet right, 20 feet left, look up at five and a half feet, move this, and you'll find it. And it's right there. She can keep track of my things. I lose stuff all the time. I'm like a 12-year-old looking for stuff. And I think that's a man problem, not just a, not just a me problem. I lose things all the time. I belong to Jesus. Jesus doesn't lose things, amen? He doesn't lose things. He doesn't lose the things he owns. Jesus doesn't forget the things that he owns. He doesn't neglect the things he owns because you are precious to Jesus. Again, I think of Jonah. Uh, the parallels here are interesting because Jonah got caught in a storm but Jonah and Paul were on two different pathways. Jonah was trying to get away from God. Paul was trying to follow God. Paul was following God and found himself in a storm. Jonah was trying to get away from God and found himself in a storm. Both were taken care of. Even in judgment, Jonah was preserved to go and do what God had for him to do. Now, Paul was not being judged. Instead, Paul was being put on display because there were 275 souls on that were watching the confident peace of the apostle Paul as he followed God's plan for his life. This trial that Paul was taking was not for his benefit. It was for the benefit of those 275 other men who watched it happen. In the midst of this great tempest, Paul pointed people to Jesus, the God to whom I belong. The God to whom I belong. He's the one that can take care of us. He's the one that can watch over us. He's the one that has promised his care for us. And what a promise. Because that's the third way that anchor holds us, is that anchor of God's promises. God had given Paul the full picture of what he intended to do for this season in his life. Now, that's, we don't always get that. Paul gets that. Paul knows where his journey is leading. Paul knows the promise that God has made. We don't always get that. But Paul certainly does here. He, it had been a driving vision for him from the day that he was arrested. He knew that Rome was his destination. He knew that he would bear witness to Jesus before the most powerful man in the known world. He knew this. What he didn't know was the difficulty of the journey. But he certainly knew that God would do everything that he said he would do. Imagine that level of confidence. To stand on that battered vessel with all of these seasoned sailors who were starving, 
had gone two weeks without any real sustenance. To stand on that battered vessel with the wind whipping through what was left of the sail, with the boards of the boat creaking, imagine standing there with all those seasoned sailors. It's going to be okay. <laughs> you know that the captain was like, this man's crazy. This man's lost his mind. Look what Paul said in verse 24. He knew what God had promised him. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. God had not only promised his care for Paul, that Paul was going to be doing what God said he was going to do, God also said, I'm going to take care of everybody on the boat too. Verse 25, he says, so take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Exactly as I have been told. They won't get to the end and say, well, that's pretty close. I mean, he, he mostly kept his promise. There was that one guy that we threw off, but he mostly kept his promise. No, Paul says it's going to be exactly as God says. There won't be any deviation. He said there's going to be a shipwreck. Well, that's bad news. There's going to be a shipwreck. This boat that you've been on for the last 14 days is going to be destroyed, but you are going to survive. Why? Because God said so. That's enough right there, isn't it? Why do you have confidence, Christian, in this world that's going to hell? <laughs> because God said so. Because God said so. You may not have the level of specificity in what God said to Paul as you do about your life. Say, Pastor, I don't have any clear calling that I'm supposed to go bear witness in Rome like Paul did. I will tell you some promises, though, that God has made that you can hold fast to. Listen to this. Jesus made this promise that he will save everyone who believes. Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Do you believe that? Jesus is going to save you if you believe. That's a promise of God. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to lack confidence. If you trust in Jesus, you shall be saved. That's a promise you can hold on to. How about this one? God causes all things to work together for our good. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Does that mean even when life goes bad? It does. Why? Because it's a promise. And it's a promise you can hold fast to. So when the wheels come off your life, it's all right. God causes all those things to work together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. When everything's going good, does that mean it's going to keep working out for your good? Absolutely. Why? Because it's a promise that God has made. Here's another one. God promises to comfort us in our affliction. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. 
Listen, we go through all kinds of affliction, don't we? We go through self-inflicted pain. We go through medically inflicted pain. We go through things that are beyond our control. You may feel afflicted when you go put $5 gallon gas in your car. That's okay. Because God promises to comfort you in your affliction. He says he's going to do that. You say, well, I didn't feel very comforted. Were you looking for his comfort? Were you doing the things where you could find his comfort? There's another one. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heaven. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You may feel like you don't have everything you need today or you don't have everything you want, but there is a promise that coming in heaven you'll have everything your heart could desire when God meets all those spiritual blessings in heaven. And the number one thing on that list is Jesus. Philippians 1.6, here's another promise. He will complete his work in your life. And I'm sure of this, Paul said, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. When you were saved, you began a journey of sanctification that will come to a close one day when you are glorified in the presence of Jesus. It is a pathway that you are on. And he promises to bring it to completion. He will not leave it unfinished. He will not leave it undone. You are his possession, and he promises to bring it to completion. John chapter 10, verse 10. I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. God will supply your every need. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Not ever won't, but he's going to take care of every need. John 10, verse 10. Jesus will give you abundant life. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Christians ought to be the happiest people on the planet because we live in an abundant life that is given to us by Jesus. Again, that's not an abundance of possessions. It's an abundance of spirit. It's an abundance of, of joy. It's an abundance of happiness because of who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. If you are saved today, you have got something to rejoice about for all of eternity. It's abundance. Here's one. John 14, verses 2 and 3. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you or would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Listen to me, church. Jesus is coming back again. We lose sight of that. He is coming back again. How do you know? Because he said so. And all of his promises are yes. In Christ Jesus. We could make the list much longer, but it's Father's Day and Dad is ready to take himself out to lunch. <laughs> These are all rock-solid promises. This isn't prosperity gospel. This isn't name it, claim it. If I just name it, it'll be mine. These are God's promises to you in Christ. You may be facing the storm of your life, but all of the promises of God find their fulfillment in Jesus. And you can have the same confidence that Paul had standing there on the deck of that doomed ship. Even if your ship is battered and your sails are torn, these anchors will always hold you fast. And the incredible thing about this is that our confidence in crisis is an encouragement to others. 
Look what happens to the people on the boat. They spend all night praying to whichever gods they could identify and find. But Paul stands up and he says, it's time for me to speak here. And these guys on the boat start to buy what Paul is selling because this confidence that he has in the Lord Jesus Christ is contagious. We're told in verse 30 that some people tried to abandon ship. There were some guys who were looking at this and saying, I'm not riding this thing down. Uh, I'm going to get on the lifeboat. Y'all can ride this thing to the bottom of the ocean. We're getting on the lifeboat and taking our chances. And Paul sees it, and he declares that, that if they want to be part of that, that group that was saved, then they got to stay on the boat. If they hope to survive, then they have to stay on the boat to live. On the day of the wreck, Paul has an impromptu potluck. They all gather up, and they share a meal, encouraged by Paul's resolve. So what a strange meal. To, to gather up on the deck of this ship, knowing you've been promised the man who's talking has told you it's going to wreck. I don't know. I, I think I'd be figuring out a life jacket, not breaking bread. I mean, I'd be figuring out how to survive this thing, not sharing a sandwich with everybody. And instead, they sit down on the deck and 276 men break bread together. They share a meal. I guess by 14 days, they had already figured out the seasickness and that was done. It all comes to pass. The ship is caught on the reef. It's destroyed. And every single man on board finds himself alive on the shore. Paul even said that not a hair on their head would be harmed. And I'd be willing to bet that God is so faithful that if you were to go do a forensic investigation of the shipwreck and you were to search the water and the beach, you know what you probably won't find? I said probably. You know what you won't find? A hair from any of those men's heads. Why? Because God said he'd take care of all of them. Christians. Sometimes it feels like the ship we're sailing on is sinking. We live in a world today where there are, there's much more discouragement than encouragement. And sometimes I find that we as the church have, have approached all of this with a chicken little type of, of, of mission. The sky is falling. It's terrible. Everybody is opposed to us. The ship we're on is heading for shipwreck. We might even look around at our nation today and say the very same thing. The seas are rough. They are rough economically. They are rough socially. We agree. Those things are true. But God is good. And God keeps his promises to you and to me. How rough do the seas have to get? Doesn't matter. Because God is faithful. And he keeps his word every single time. He never promised that the journey would be easy. He never promised that it would be smooth sailing. In fact, I think the case could be made that he actually warned us that it'd be the other way around. But we as God's people have got to believe 
And we've got to continue to do the work that God has called us to, regardless of the waves crashing around us. We've got to believe and have confidence that Jesus keeps his word and that all the promises that God has made to us are not null and void, but are still very much intact today. And they apply to me, and they apply to you. God is going to be faithful to us every single minute of every single day for the rest of our lives. He will never abandon us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will be faithful to us. Can we follow Paul's example and stand in that confidence to live and dwell in that assurance of God's plan and work in our lives? I hope we can. And if you can't, it's all right. You can cry out to him today. And, and God is so good that even when we lack faith, we cry out to God and say, God, increase our faith. And that's a prayer God loves to answer. Increase our faith. Increase our trust. Increase our confidence. Give us the boldness of Paul to stand on the deck of a sinking ship believing that God's going to do everything that he said. May we be faithful to Jesus in that. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Paul's courage, for his confidence, for his assurance that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. Lord, it is so easy to look around at all the sin and folly in our world and think, there's no hope. There's no way out. There's no way to overcome. But God, we understand the truth. And the truth is that Jesus overcomes. That the gospel is where salvation is found. That deliverance from sin is found in Jesus. And that you were faithful to complete that which you started. And so, God, may we have the courage and the confidence to stand in truth, to stand in the, in the assurance of your word. And even if our lives are stuck in the worst storm we could imagine, knowing that you are with us, even in our darkest day, may that give us hope and confidence and faith and trust in Jesus. Lord, I understand that there may be some here today that they hear this and they say, that sounds good, Pastor, but, but I, I don't know these things apply to me. They would say that, that Christ can't complete the work in me because he hasn't started it. And so I would pray, Lord, that if that is what's happening in their heart today, that this day they would hear this call to Christ that today they would recognize that Jesus wants to save them, that Jesus wants to take possession of them, to take ownership of them. God, would you give them the courage today and the faith to respond to the offer of salvation through Jesus? The Son of God who shed his blood for our sins was buried and rose again, overcoming death in the grave, that he might give us a right relationship with God through his blood. 
It's a simple offer, but it'll change our lives. So God, would that message resonate in hearts today? Lord, we love you and are grateful for your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.